There we go. Perfect. Um, I want to just start this morning by just reminding us, as we've been doing every Thursday morning, uh, the power of the gospel to save, right, is what Paul comes out right out of the gate in Romans, um, talking about, hey, this is what my letter is going to be about. He addresses several things, but at the heart of it is the power of the gospel to save. Um, and so I just kind of put a few of the Romans verses together to say, um, you know, we can explore as we've been doing the depths and the, the mysteries and the tensions of the gospel, but really in its simplicity, uh, I wrote out, um, you know, some people call it the Romans road, but I just wrote out four of them. We see in Romans, Romans three twenty three six twenty three. Uh, Romans 5, 8, and then Romans 10, 9. And if you were to put them together, it would just sound something like this, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I want to make sure that in all the hard work we're doing of looking every every word uh, in Paul's letter in Romans and uh, wrestling through it, asking questions and taking good rabbit trails, we don't lose sight of the power of the gospel to save, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the the wages, the consequence, the result of our sins, death, eternal death and separation from God who created us and loves us. Uh, but even while we were separated from him in our sin, Christ died for us and brought us near so that we could be reconnected, reconciled to God. Um, and now if we confess with our mouths, believe in our heart that he's Lord, then we have new life in him completely forgiven. So even while we wrestle through the 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 hard mental work of Romans, we can't lose sight of the power of the gospel that we were once sinners, but now we've been saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me pray for us. Uh, and then Sean, if you have anything summary wise, um, go for it. And then we'll pick up. Um, I'm actually going to have us pick up in Romans 6 verse 15, and we're going to read about a chapter and a half together and then start working through Romans seven together. So I'm uh Dave real quick. I yeah. um, started working on a, um, what I would think is a thorough, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, you just said it. I'm uh, a thorough uh, oh, summary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A thorough summary of each chapter. Yeah. And I've made it to, I made it to the end of chapter three. So I'm, Probably okay. going to need maybe a week or cool. uh, more, but once I'm done with it, I'd like to actually send it out and maybe yeah. continue adding to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to make it condensed and, yeah. and very focused. Um, um, if you can give me like another week on that, it'd be good. Love it. When you're done with it, shoot it my way. I'll add it to our our other shared document with the class here of shared um, key definitions and terms. I want to clean that one up too a little bit so it's still helpful for everybody. It's gotten a little messy. Um, so send it my way. I'll clean that up and then we could share that. And so we can have kind of all our key Roman terms, phrases, definitions, and summary in the same document for everybody. That'd be cool. Good. All right. Well, let me pray 
and uh, we'll pick up the word and see what the Lord has for us this morning. So Father, we right now as a class together, we're just grateful for these Thursday mornings, the months we've been together, um, and uh, by faith in you, trusting in you, we believe, as the psalmist says, that your word has the power to revive the soul, to bring joy to the heart, light to the eyes. And so even this morning, not knowing where everybody's at, whether it's been a, a long week already, whether we're tired, exhausted, whether um, we've felt energized and met by you throughout the week, wherever we are together this morning in community, uh, we ask that you would revive our souls with the truth of your word because your truth sets us free. And uh, we just pray as we work through Romans 7. I'm so thankful for Paul's honesty, the, the struggle with sin, the struggle with the old sinful nature. Um, but we thank you that uh, we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but you now live in us and through us. Help us to know how to apply that in our thinking, our believing, and our living in a way that we present ourselves to you and you do incredible work through our lives here on earth. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, if we could, uh, let's, do a, let's do a big chunk of reading. Um, I'll give just kind of a, a little bit of an outline, as I shared last week, of some things we've been looking at and where we're going. And then we're going to read all the way from Romans 6, verse 15, through chapter 7. So a little bit of a chunk to just kind of catch it all. So remember in where we'll pick up um, chapter 6, verse 15, um, Paul's asking the second question of four key questions he's asking throughout chapter 6 and 7. So the second question is along the lines, does the gospel, the message you're no longer under the law, leave you free to just live any way you choose or want? And his answer is to that is no, you can either be a slave to sin or a servant of God, but no one is free. Um, and then, so after he moves from that slavery analogy, we'll move into it this morning, the first six verses of chapter 7. He answers that question again with a different analogy. No, you can either be married to the law or married to Christ, but no one is free. And then uh, the illustration he's using within marriage is wives are bound to their husband until freed by death. And then in verses four through six, the application of that is we're married to Christ is what he wants us to see. So we are now, like all married persons, bound with the cords of love and no longer fear. So that's that's where we'll pick up and get rolling in chapter seven. So in light of that, let's just catch the big picture together. Could somebody pick up in Romans six, verse 15, and we'll just each take a couple paragraphs at a time and read all the way through seven. I've got it. All right. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were, who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to a, a standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, 
have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because your natural limitations, for just as you were once once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what was but what fruit were you getting at the time from those things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now you have been set free from the sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. Or do you, oh, brother, who was reading? Sorry, did I cut you off? Let's go ahead. Okay. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man, while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we, that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. What shall we say? What what then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death in me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteousness, and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might... Um, become sinful beyond measure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your dog? <laughs> oh. I hope that's your dog. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody's really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do is... <laughs> this is really hard to read. <laughs> I <know>. So glad <laughs> you chose this. <laughs> it is no longer I who did it, but the sin who dwells that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Hmm. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah, Connie, as you say that, I've always wondered, because I can never keep a straight face when I read that passage either. <laughs> Part of me has always wondered if it's just Paul's cleverness of, he like writes it in a really confusing way to almost express the confusion that we all feel inside when we're wrestling with sin of like, I don't want to do what I'm doing and I, I want to do what I'm not doing. And, you know, so it's just interesting yeah. that the language he uses, it's so like, oh, that's a, that's what my mind's like. <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, first six verses, let's, let's dig in um, to kind of finish out um, where Paul started in, in chapter six, verse 15. Now the first six verses of seven uh, connect um, really to that thought as first of all, when he's asking this question in chapter six, verse 15, well, if we're no longer under law, uh, but now grace, can we just do what we want? And he uses the slavery example of you're either, in, in practical terms, you're either a servant or slave of sin or a servant of Christ. Which will you choose? Um, and now he's, he's going to take that same idea and, and talk about it in light of marriage. And then um, in verse 7, they'll pick up on kind of a new idea. So uh, verse 1, Romans 7. Or do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So right away, he wants us to start thinking about only death can terminate and separate the bond between a person and the law. Um, and so he wants us to begin thinking about this. So in, in light of only death can bring a separation from this bondage. Take, for example, verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So everybody track in here with, with where Paul's going with, with this analogy. Um, thoughts, 
questions? What do you see in so far? I think there's a um, a real a real um, level of absurdity here that Paul mm. is contrasting here, mm. uh, and I and I really like it because mm. uh, we we know that you know that marriage was ordained by God, um, and the contrast I think here is something along this line. You know, if um, you know, a spouse dies, how absurd would it be for me to go to that spouse who's, say, she's going to get married again, say, you can't do that, you're still married. And it is as much mm-hmm. absurd to not realize that we are um, free from sin, that mm-hmm. once we were married to and alive to Christ, and so in our thinking, um, we ought to, as Paul is saying, correlate the idea that uh, we are married to Christ and that to try to live in the old nature is just, is just really absurd because hmm. that old nature has been dead. And hmm. I think in our minds we, we, we struggle with that idea, or at least I do. Mm-hmm. But I think he wants us to realize that it is as final as mm. death of the spouse and the ability to live to the new spouse. Mm. And there's, there's nobody in society would ever say again, that she's committing adultery mm. or he's committing adultery. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it kind of jumps out at me that he's contrasting two solid things here mm. that we were, we were divorced and dead, mm. so that old nature is gone yeah. and, and put in place so we can be married to a new spouse mm. without condemnation. Mm. That's good, John. I That's cool. I hadn't thought about the absurdity of it, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah, as you brought that up, just kind of the absurdity of, of why would you go back, <laughs> right? Um yeah, they'd be ridiculous. And what would you say, John? And I'm all of Romans seven is going to bring this question back over and over. I think, and even Romans eight. What would you say to the person that's like, well, if 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 my marriage to sin is that final, like the death is that final, then why do I still struggle? Why do I still get pulled back? What would you begin to say to to someone feeling that? Well, Scripture claims that it is we are dead to that old nature, mm-hmm. and that we can live in the new nature. The problem becomes is that we are still alive in this old body, mm-hmm. which is prone to sinful actions and behaviors. And so, the 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 the, the death is going to, the final decree of death and separation from the old nature is going to be on the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But at this time and place, the residual effects of just being a human in a human body with its natural desires um, is where we fight daily the war to believe what is true of us in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that we are free from sin. We no longer have to be bound to sin. And it is as much a um, struggle of faith 
uh, as anything else. Mm-hmm. To believe what God said is true of me, even though I don't believe it. Yeah. Mm. Or I don't understand it, I right. should say. I know yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself, guys, and I'm sorry because we'll get there. But So, John, would you say that's what Paul means when he says, end of chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When he's referring to that body of death, is that that physical, yeah. earthly body that you're referring yes. to? Okay. That's what I understand okay. that to be. Okay, cool. Well, we'll... we'll Trust me, we're going to keep circling around this and through this all the way through Romans 7. Go ahead, Sean. Um, I, John, I, I, I completely agree with you. I also think Paul's playing on another aspect of death that we see in Genesis 3 when God um, says you will surely die. He, he meant a relational death mm-hmm. um, as well as a physical death. And I think when Paul speaks earlier, I think in 6, where he says, so you must consider yourself Mm. dead to sin. He's talking not just about physically dead, but relationally dead. And I think this paints a really good picture of if your wife is dead or your husband is dead, there is no relationship. You are done. And I think that's where, I think that's where you're going with. Is that correct? Yeah. And it it forces, um, it gives the force of, Remaining in sin as a believer, uh, in his eyes, is adultery. Yeah, and so you can you know how repugnant that is. Yeah. Uh, you see it in the Old Testament how he called Israel an adulterous nation, and uh, it's the same way as believers. If we, uh, if I choose to dwell in sin, I am in effect an adulterous relationship with that. Old sin nature. I, when I, when I allow my members, um, uh, my eyes, my mind, uh, my body to dwell in uh, sinful things, it's an affront to God as much as adultery. Yeah. Would you say, John, that that we are we are to consider ourselves relationally dead to sin while we're still alive mm-hmm. until we are physically separated from sin by our death and resurrection. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, and, that's um, and, and Paul recognizes that, that idea that we are, you know, the uh, lust of the eyes, you know, the pride of life, all those things are still in some measure, but they are, as we walk in Christ, they, uh, we are being conformed into his image and as we live in the Holy Spirit, we begin to produce fruit. And I'm going to stop there because we're getting, I'm getting way ahead of the whole <laughs> I love it, though. <laughs> hey, Sean, if you get a chance, jot down that thought you just said. I, I think that captures maybe mm-hmm. Romans 5 through 8 really well about being physically or relationally separated from sin until we're physically separated from it in our death and resurrection. That was a really – that's – I think that'd be a good line to kind of come back to because, man, it gets muddled in my thinking as I work through this. Um, mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit, you know, just as I'm obviously stuck in John, uh, Gospel of John right now and how much Jesus stresses um, Father, you know, protect and preserve them as they're in the world but not of it. And so it, it's that same feeling of I'm, I'm in this physical body that is prone towards sin, but I'm no longer of it. Um, in Paul's language, 
I'll boast about Christ and him crucified because through Christ, the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. So there's no longer that marriage between my pursuit of the things of this earth have been separated, but I'm still in the world. So it's easy to go back into it if I don't consider myself dead to it. So um, really, really helpful. Yeah. Dave, you got to remember also that he said that we are not of this world. Mm-hmm. Is it John 17, I believe it is? Yeah, yeah. And so we have to consider thoughtfully the truth about our position in him is that we are not of this world. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have to pray that, we have to argue that, we have yeah. to believe that. And as we do that, the truth of that reality is born out in a death to that fleshly body. Mm. And so it's, it's, uh, it's all related to belief mm. and his word. And it's, it's, um, that is the power of, to salvation and deliverance from the, the natural man. It's mm. good. Reminds me, as you say that, of our favorite song. You know, we've talked quite a bit about this, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. And uh, when you do and you look full in his wonderful face, um, the things of this earth, right, grow strangely dim. And so in the light of his glory and his grace. So as we turn our, our minds, our hearts, our affection, our attention towards Jesus, we realize, ah, this this world doesn't have anything for us. So... All right. Well, I think we wrapped up Romans seven. <laughs> yeah, we're we're three verses in, but I think we we nailed it already. Uh, Anne, you you got a thought? Yeah, I just wanted to um, add also <clears throat> that Paul used the analogy of marriage because you know when we're talking about marriage in human terms, when we get you know, when two people get married, you're talking about faithfulness and loving that person wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and it goes back to the first commandment which is thou shalt love the lord thy god with Mm -hmm. all thy heart and with all thy soul and mind so that to me ties together yeah that's good it's thank you for bringing that back in because it's it's there's no it's not a coincidence that god specifically starting with his people israel all throughout the Old Testament, um, and then the New Testament authors pick up on the language of, of adultery, right, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, as you're saying, and but to fall back into a love for the world um, and have competing desires for the Lord and for the world, um, Scripture just straight up calls out adultery, Um we, we're cheating on the one who will be faithful to us even when we're faithless. Um, so thank you for that reminder. It's, uh, yeah, that's a key theme throughout Scripture. So here in, in verses 4 through 6 now, as we kind of wrap up this analogy as Paul's bringing home, you're either um, a servant of sin or a servant of Christ. You're either married to the law or you're married to Christ. Um here, um, verse four, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So verse four, um, we've died to the law. What was Paul saying 
once once again, just bringing this analogy home that we've died to the law through the body of Christ. Uh, Sean, I think you're mute. Yeah, you're muted. <clears throat> I think I think when you look back, uh, I, I can't remember what verse it was. I think it's in uh, six, uh, early part of six, where it says that we must be we must consider ourselves dead with Christ, and that mm-hmm. we'll rise again with. And so when it says that we've died, uh, died to the law through the body of Christ, um, that. Um, that Christ's death put the the um, consequence of the law to death for us. We are not. We are no longer bound to that. Are we no longer? Uh, the consequence no longer applies to us mm. through His resurrection. Yeah. We we it. We no longer have to worry about um, the sin that that is in the past. It's it's a we we become as Paul says a new creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say that, it, and I think this is where Paul wants us to begin to rejoice in the freedom of kind of the being moved from being bound or married to the law to now married to Christ is, is not only do the expectations of the law um, no longer bind us, um, but also the consequences, right? The condemnation of the law, we've been freed from that. So not only do we not have to live in fear, I've got to do enough, I've got to do all these laws in order to make it, but also we don't have to fear the consequences of falling short, right? Um, because we've, we've been divorced from that law. It's been broken from us. Um, and then he says, in order that we may bear the fruit for, or the, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So now beginning, and we'll see this more in the coming chapters, referring to the good works of righteousness that come from union with Christ. We begin to bear his fruit. This is Paul later in Galatians saying, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I live, I live in the body. Uh, I live by faith uh, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now it's the life of Christ, no longer my life, but the life of Christ in and through me. Then this is Jesus' John 15 language, right? That if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. So his life, love, joy, peace, patience through us, no longer us struggling in our own strength to try and be more loving or joyful or peaceful or patient. Um, So I think here in verse 4, kind of a key thought, once again, uh, John and Connie will appreciate this, definitely stole it from Green Letters. Um, but Paul wants us to see not only did Christ die for us, but we're invited to die with him. So as we look back 2,000 years ago at the cross, um, not only do we see this incredible truth that, that Christ so loved us and wants to call us friends that he would lay down his life for us, but he's also inviting us to see the reality that uh, our old sinful nature was crucified with him on that cross so that we could die to our marriage to this, to sin and the law, to break off our bonds with it, and now be bound to, to a new and better husband, to be bound to Christ. Um, so not only did Christ die for us, but we died with him 
to be separated from our sinful nature and the consequences of law and now be bound to him. So thoughts on that before we wrap that up with verse five and six now? Um, I think it just goes back to Romans 6, 3, Dave. Yeah. It's exactly what you said. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Mm. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Mm. So it's that, it's that death to sin, uh, resurrection unto life language again. Yeah. It's good. Verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Um, verse 5, There are sinful passions aroused by the law, um, John, Sean, I've heard you guys use examples that have always made me chuckle, but how the law, uh, fuels rebellion within us. Um, and so I, I think I've heard you guys say, it's like when we see, uh, a 30 mile an hour sign when we're driving and it, it makes us want to go 40 or 45, right? Or, uh, Sean, I think I've heard you say it's, if you're walking by somebody's nice lawn and there's a sign that says, please stay off the grass, what's it make you want to do? <laughs> Makes you want to walk on the grass. Uh, and so that's where, where Paul's saying is, um, the law in this, he's going to make a really strong argument here where we're getting in verse seven, four, the law isn't bad, but sin took the opportunity to take the law and fuel within us kind of this desire of like, oh, well, if, if the law says stay off the grass, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on that grass. <laughs> you know? um, and uh, let's see, now verse 6, but we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way, the written code. So, uh, Sean, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, I want, just backing up just a little bit as, as we were talking about, you know, the grass or the, yeah. the, the speed limit, just maybe connecting that to our desire to be our own God. It's really pride. It's, it's, I want to do, I want to do it my way. How dare you God tell me hmm. how to do or how to live my life. Um, and, and it really falls back to pride, which I think all sins really are the root of. Yeah. No, I think that's spot on. That reminds me, I, I skipped a line here where, first of all, this is going to be important as we move forward. Paul's talking about living in the flesh in verse 5. Um, this is life apart from Christ under the control of sin. Um, and so the, the Greek word here is, is sarks or flesh. It's, it's human nature, thought, desires, behavior in contrast with the, the spiritual nature uh, that, that God wants us to walk in the newness of Christ. So we'll, we'll circle back to that several times in the rest of, of chapter 7 and, and 8. Um, all right. So thoughts on, on these six verses here? What are you guys seeing? I should toss out there just a yeah. thought. It's... Um may not be so, but as I look at verse 6, um, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which 
held as captive. I just wonder if the Jewish listener or reader, when he read held you know held captive, would go back to Egypt mm-hmm. in their mind and the the bondage there, and then um, uh, moving on so that we serve in a new way that we they were released from Egypt and moved into Cana, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that's a you know, a plausible narrative for, or, or a, uh, not narrative, but a comparison to what mm. Christ has done for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think this is good timing here as we as we end with verse 6 and move towards uh, verse 7. I put in the chat there, um, could somebody turn to Jeremiah 31? And then somebody else to Ezekiel 36. These are two key Old Testament passages that I think really embody this transformation that's taking place from law, married to law to married to Christ that Paul's talking about. So Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And then Ezekiel. Got you got that one? Cool. And then somebody else, some of my favorite verses, uh, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. So, John, would you read that Jeremiah passage? Uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand uh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for in for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each uh, of them, excuse me, shall each one teach their neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Where I will give, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Hmm. Dave, did you say twenty-five through twenty-seven? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Mm-hmm. That's so good. It's so good. Especially that I just, is, that's the gospel. Yeah, like, it's it. Ends, yeah. It really is. As you look at these promises in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, you see, and then I want to just tie it as we hinge, like I said, verse 6, Paul ends with this thought, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. And, and Paul's referencing this promise that God had made to his people all the way back in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel several, several hundred years before. Hey, there's going to be a day where the law will no longer be this external thing written on stone tablets that, hey, here's your Ten Commandments do your best, right? Um, and, and as Paul say, actually the Ten Commandments fueled more rebellion than anything, and we all fall short of the ability to keep the laws, the commands of God. But God promises one day, you know what? What I'm going to do through Jesus 
is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write these internally on your heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And so now, you know, Jesus comes on the scene and he summarizes all the law and he says, what's, what's the law? It's, it's to love the Lord your God, as you mentioned, Anne, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to give you my spirit within you internally, motivating you and empowering you to love God and love people uh, more than you love yourself. And it's all internally driven by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, no longer uh, humans in their own effort trying to keep the law. Um, but yeah, Sean, seems like that that jumped out at you. Any thoughts you have on those passages um, on top of that before we move into seven? Uh, maybe just a little bit of a rabbit trail. It's interesting. Yeah. It just kind of dawned on me how mankind, religion... Um, or, or man's way says, give me a list of things I must do in order to be righteous. And God says, here's a list. And we still can't keep it. It <laughs> yeah. still ends up going back to, yeah. to God's way and not our own. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, anything else, um, you guys, from Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, or first six verses of Romans 7 before we move forward? Uh, yeah, it's funny how I, yeah. God gave us ten commandments, and yet man stretched it out to six hundred and thirty. Yeah, uh huh. Like trying to stretch it farther out, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. And it shows that man really can't follow just the basic ten commandments because, you know, we we are unrighteous people. Mm -hmm. you know, we're always trying to look for excuses to right our wrongs. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and what's cool about what you said, Ann, is it's um, it's it, the, on the face of the on the face of the law or the face of the commandments, it's it's easy to to not steal or not commit adultery, but I think the beauty of it is it really shows that it's a much deeper issue hmm. than just do not steal, do not commit adultery, etc. It, it really is a condition of the heart, and that's why I really like that Ezekiel passage. That says, I will give you a new heart mm -hmm. um, and, and it will be clean rather than unclean, which, mm -hmm. which seeks out. Yeah, it's, it's just great connection. Mm -hmm. Selfishly, I, I've shared this with you guys before, but selfishly, Mel and I probably pray Ezekiel 36 over our kids more than anything else. Because and I'll always say, Lord, do it at an early age. Um, because you know, biblically, I believe that our our kids are born with selfful, selfish, sinful hearts um, in rebellion against God and rebellion against honoring their father and their mother. So the sooner God grabs a heart of their stone-like heart and uh, grabs a hold of their stone-like heart and gives them a new heart with new desires and puts a spirit within them. Um, it'll benefit me and Mel's parents too. <laughs> and so we're always saying, Lord, do it, do it at an early age, get their hearts, um, take out the old hearts, put in new hearts, put your spirit in them, uh, to, I love that last line to be careful to walk in your good ways, um, uh, depending on your translation there in Ezekiel, but the spirit is the one now helping you to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love others. Um, and so we can't 
drive that into our kids. We can't drive them into obedience. Um, the, the Holy Spirit can motivate them internally. We can try and motivate externally, but the Spirit will motivate internally out. And uh, so anyway, feel free to pray that with us because <laughs> it would make parenting a lot easier. So we're like, Lord. Would you, would you pray that over Connie? So <laughs> yeah. You know what? I was just going to say, I'm so proud of us as a class. You know how... Um, in Romans 6, Paul uses two, or Romans 6 and 7, Paul uses two analogies to explain the same idea. One is slavery and the other is marriage. And not one person has made the joke. Um, and I'm so proud of all of us because we made it through, but I had to bring it up now. Because um, <laughs> usually every time it clicks or somebody, wait, Paul's using slavery and marriage to explain the same thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, John, you can, you can pray. You, you and Connie can take care of that. I'm going to stay out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I want to maybe just lean in a little bit. Thought just kind of hit me. I appreciated right out of the gate this morning, John brought up the absurdity, uh, kind of the, the humor of Paul's analogy here. And I, I think if we lean into that a little bit together, let's think about this um, absurdity-wise. Um, in kind of American culture or um, maybe the more recent teaching of the gospel and understanding what it means to be a Christian, I, I think we're all guilty of wanting to just add Christ to our life. To just say, hey, I'm going to live my life, um, but I'm going to believe in Jesus so that I know that I'm saved and I make it into heaven and, and I don't go to hell. And so we just kind of adopt a few things to believe from the Bible about Jesus and add it to the life we were already living. And um, that would be like um, going to the wedding altar and and marrying your fiance. And saying, you know, I'm just going to keep living life exactly how I was living it. And I'm still going to date other people and all that. And But uh, I'm going to add you on to my life. Um, nobody, no, well, I would hope nobody would do that, right? <laughs> um, no, no fiance would marry uh, someone who, who had that intention of like, yeah, we're going to get married. But uh, I'm going to keep living how I've always lived. And I'm going to keep dating other people. Um, no, there's a, there's a very distinct commitment. There's a very distinct moment that takes place at the altar that says, when I chose in those vows to marry Mel and, and, and she chose to marry me, there was this distinct, every other girl in the world became dead to me. Um, and for Mel, I hope, uh, every other guy in the world became dead to her. Um, and, and when we say, I want to be crucified with Christ and uh, buried with him and raised to new life, married to Christ, this world is dead to me. Um, and I'm not going to just keep living life in this world how I was and add him on to it. Um, he is now my life. So just thinking about that, John, you kind of got me thinking about the absurdity of just adding Christ onto our life. So other thoughts on that? Yeah, can I um, hijack something here real quick? Because yeah. you're, you're you're giving something into something that's extremely important, and I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he certainly invites us into the to the Christian life. But do you think that it is a um, uh, not not as so much an invitation, but as if you decide that it's it's a command mm. uh, in, in in light of saying if if you uh, want to be a part of me and be a follower you must take up your cross daily and die to self you must be willing to put me above everything else um how do we how do we reconcile that in um in our all of us in the christian life we 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 are so casual about our commitment and yet jesus says there's no there's there's no nothing on the fence you've got to be one way or the other Mm -hmm. Um, are we mm. preaching a soft gospel? Mm. Think at times, or? because this mm. commitment that Paul's talking about and you're talking about is uh, huge. Mm-hmm. And, and so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd love to hear from everybody, but off the top of my head, uh, yes, we're preaching a soft gospel, especially on Sundays. You know those those weak sermons. But um, I, I would say... Um, oh, we were going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I would say, you know, I, and I'm trying to figure this out in, in my thinking, so guys help me here. I would say, yes, John, it's a, it's a direct command from Christ. But the, the beauty of it is um, it's not only a command, it's a statement of reality. And maybe those are inseparable. I, I have to do some work on that. And what I mean by that is not only does Jesus command you to die to the world and live with him, but it's a statement of reality in saying that this is the only way it's going to work. Um, just just like um, Mel asked, quote unquote, asking me not to see other women once we get married, that's a command, but it's also a statement of reality. It's a, our marriage will not work if you're going to be married to me while pursuing the world. Um, so that, I, I guess, does that make sense? That's what I see Jesus saying is, this is reality. You will pursue me and die to the world um, or this will not work. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm being clear there. So I guess it's it's muddled in my own thinking. But what are you guys hearing? I, I think you're being very clear, Dave, and what you're saying is true. I think um, getting people to the place to live that way is mm-hmm. the hard part. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll acknowledge, yeah, I've got to die to myself and then go out and continue to live as yeah. they always have. Um, you know, we talked about that before, how it's work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. But I mean, when people sit under good, strong teaching, and John and I have talked about this a lot, and then absolutely refuse to make, you know, to allow the Holy Spirit to change them, Mm. um, you, you have to wonder is, does that person even understand the gospel? Mm. Mm. Are they even saved? Um, because there, there's no change in their life. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, you guys definitely have me thinking on that. I've been trying to figure out, it seems to be a common theme in my own life right now of of adding life or adding Christ onto your life or him becoming your life. 
um, so that every part of your life is pointed towards him. Um, that seems to be one of the issues, if not the key issue of, of most of us walking with Jesus here in, in what I would say Western society is we seem to be okay with, in John's words, the soft gospel of, well, as long as I believe in Jesus, you know, then I'm, I'm good, I'm saved. But we have missed the truth of the gospel that unless he becomes our life, um, then we're not walking in the way of Christ. We're not married to him. We're trying to be married to several things. Well, I like that. I like that line. I think about it quite often in The Princess Bride where the, the guy says, well, he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. Yeah. <laughs> say it the way you say it. Yes. Yeah. But it's, you know, that's I'm not that's dead yet. Life, you know? I, I'm dead. But I'm just mostly dead, but I'm not all dead. You know? And I, I want to be dead. Yeah. You know, to, to the world. And so mm. I, I think we, we run the line as Christians that we we don't get the severity of what the Christian life is and the severity of the consequences outside of Christ. Mm. Um, uh, you know, yeah. we don't believe in a literal hell. Mm. Um, um, and we rely so much on his grace that we flaunt it. Mm. Um, and flirt with uh, someone else, um, and sometimes are even captured by mm-hmm. adultery uh, in, in many, mm-hmm. many different ways. Yeah. But I, I, I think we would have less, um, and talking about less uh, miscarriages in the Christian life mm-hmm. if we had a strong gospel to say, as Jesus did, that there is no turning back. This decision is... Mm-hmm. Irrevocable, hmm. and, and, and make sure you're clear about this before yeah. you 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 take make this choice. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say in the hmm. Philippine culture that I grew up in. So you know, most of us were brought up Catholic, and um, it's just like the Jewish you know people. There's like so many laws that you had to follow. You can't do this. You can't do that. And but pertaining to the sanctity of marriage is kind of strange because, you know, as devout Catholics, they're like, oh, if you commit, uh, if you uh, have relations before marriage, you have to marry that person. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of shotgun marriages in the Philippines. You know, the parents mm-hmm. like force their children to get married. Yeah. And what happens is a lot of times those people are not fit to marry one another. And mm-hmm. so, one of them continued to be an adulterer. And so that's really like you're forcing them into marriage because that's the right thing to do, you know, according to your religion. And yet you force them to continue a life of sin at the same time. Some marriages work and some don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So that's kind of like missing the mark as far as. Yeah. And I'd say, and as we back up even further, as we talk about a soft gospel, it, it really comes from a lack of, of good biblical teaching that, you know, in Paul's language, um, sexual intimacy is a union between two souls, two souls becoming one. And so in Paul's 
perspective and God, better yet, God's perspective, sex is, is as good as marriage in the sense that, you know, we only think, oh, when you're married, two people become one, but God wants us to see that sex is such a big deal that, that, uh, just the, the act of it, um, is two souls becoming one united. And so this is why, you know, our culture wants to think of it as just like, you know, it, it's just recreation, right? It, it's just, um, and, and God says, no, this is, this is two becoming one. And so if we understood that on the front end before we're then, you know, forcing people to get married because, well, you had sex, so now you need to be married. Well, what if we had taken it that seriously <laughs> before that, right? So, yeah, that's that's, that's a that's a great analogy, and that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what we do in a Christian church is we try to force them to behave like Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we we see, and myself also. You know, we we we, we sin and we tell people you need to behave like a Christian. You know, we're trying mm-hmm. to force them into a a behavior versus a life, mm-hmm. you know? and so as long as we, we we get somebody to stop from you know committing adultery, we still haven't dealt with the heart issue that their heart is wandering. And so, yeah, it's it's, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John, that got me thinking that when right when you said that, it um, we're trying to force a heart of flesh onto a heart of stone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as we know in Ezekiel, only God can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Connie and I, and I know you all do, we just praise God daily that He's so kind to us mm. and merciful to us. Mm. And that as we attempt uh, in our hearts and our minds that we uh, to to grow in Him, He is still patient with us. Um, and so we're, we're just overwhelmed with the mercy of God. It's mm. gone. Well, in light of that, I'll end with just one more phrase here. And then, uh, Sean, would you close in prayer with us or for us? Yeah. Um, sure. so one last line here, becoming in, in light of where Paul's going, becoming a Christian is a complete change in relationship and allegiance. In a good marriage, your whole life is affected and changed by the wishes and the desires of the person you love. Um, so as we just talked about, uh, the, the call of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Christ is a complete change in allegiance. Um, the wishes and desires of Christ, who we now love, uh, drives everything. Um, so anyway, Sean, if you would pray for us once again past couple weeks i've just loved our conversation the last 20 minutes of our class i feel like we're we're growing deeper and just good conversation so grateful yeah father uh and we want to come before you this morning and thank you for thank you for the conversation thank you for the focus um that that leads us to christ we want to thank you for removing our heart of stone and giving us a a heart of flesh. And as John said, being patient and merciful to us, Uh, we want to ask for the, uh, the courage to continue to share the gospel effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing, nothing is greater than knowing that we are being used 
by you to to um, watching you change lives through that. And so as we go about our day, Lord, help us to focus on you and seek your face uh, in all things. In the name of Jesus, amen.